He grew up in the oil fields of West Texas. He's been all over the Western Hemisphere, a radio and TV veteran, former restaurateur, and a cowboy at heart. He's Earl Farrell, and he calls Memphis home because Memphis is cool. This, this is the Earl Farrell for Memphis show, brought to you by Southern Security, your home team credit union, and by Kathy Thurman Edwards State Farm Insurance. And now, here's your host, Earl Farrell. And thank you very much, and uh, welcome aboard here on this uh, hot Monday. Every day is a hot day in the Mid-South here recently. Uh, a lot to talk about today. I mean, uh, the golf tournament, which we're going to go back over and talk a little bit about that. Uh, big, huge breaking news. Uh, Michael Orr, the subject of The Blind Side, the book and the movie, uh, has come out with a book and uh, filed some kind of a court documents alleging that... Uh, the Sean and Tui and his lovely wife uh, were all always lying about the fact that he was adopted. Uh, we're going to address that in just a second. He has responded. Sean Tui has, and uh, and to the uh, Daily Memphian, we'll be talking about that. I've, I've known uh, the Tuies. My son was at Briarcrest with uh, Michael Orr. Had a math class with him, as a matter of fact, and our good friends uh, the. Stuart Gunther, that JB grew up with, played on the football team with him, and uh, you know they're a huge part of the community. So everybody was really shocked, including the Tuies, and we'll talk about that in a minute. I want to say congratulations to a great career to my good friend Jim Jaggers. His last day at Channel Three was this uh, past weekend. Uh, Forty-six years, uh, ever since I've been here, uh, Jim has been doing the weather. He was at what was then Eyewitness News at Channel Thirteen, later to turn into uh, Fox Thirteen. Then he transitioned over to WREG, where he finished off his career. Go Jim Go was his big bike riding fundraiser every year. He raised a ton of dough for that. Really good guy, but another one gone from Channel 3. I was I was the leader of the herd. I left back, I think, something like 84, something 84, 85. So I was the leading edge of people split out of there. But uh, now Alex Coleman is still there, part of the original group. Um, April Thomas is still there. Mary Beth Connolly left a couple of years ago. Um, trying to think if there's anybody else left there. And Willie Douglas, who was an engineer, gone. Bobby Hayes, gone. Mike Lawhead, gone. Uh uh, young Glenn Carver went to FedEx. Pam Crittenden went to FedEx. Now she's even retired from FedEx. So, but uh, the, I think the only Todd Demers is still there doing weather, and uh, Wendy Nations, who was over at Fox 13 with me, and then she went over to Channel Three. But uh, the old guard is slowly going away, and sad to see. Uh, I think Jim always did a great job, and and we wish him well and whatever he uh, pursues. He's still going to continue his Go Jim Go. Uh, bike-a-thon, so be sure to take part in that as well. Had a big shootout on Beale Street this weekend. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the video. We do have the audio here for you. Cut number three. Come on, man. I'm finna hit. Over with. Oh, oh, shots fired in downtown Memphis. Shots fired. <laughs> Sounds like one of the new reporters working one of the TV stations. <laughs> shots fired. Shots fired. Uh, 
Well, at least he was there recording. I think we had uh, Ben had him on the morning show this morning talking about it. Uh, still have not heard from our $280,000 a year police chief. Uh, apparently, uh, they're still trying to assemble some kind of a statement. All I know is that when I was the public information officer for the sheriff's office, I'd have been down there that night, and we would have been doing a news conference that night telling you what we had and what we were doing about it. But apparently that would have required uh, weekend work, and I guess she charges uh, overtime for weekends. That would be something like $9,000 to go to a news conference here. Still no word from her on uh, any explanation. No arrest been made. I think eight people in the hospital or were transported at one time. Crazy, crazy. And then uh, the video and, and the just that coming out of Maui is just horrendous. And I don't, I'm sure you've seen some of it. Some of this video that people took with their cell phones of the ground on fire, and yet there's nothing burning. I've covered grass fires, wildfires, forest fires, house fires, business fires, fire on the water. I've covered just about everything. I've never seen just a street on fire before and not have something there to fuel the fire. There's a lot, there's a lot more questions out there than there are answers about what was going on there, especially when it starts coming out that all these ultra rich were trying to buy land in, in Maui in that particular little community. And nobody wanted to sell because that's their home. There's a very simple lifestyle. Nobody was building mansions. They were living mostly wooden structures and all of a sudden, they, were, they wanted to turn it into this ultra-modern green peace town, all electric, wind turbines and solar panels, and and Oprah was wanting to get in, Bill Gates was wanting to get in there, buy all the land up, and uh, nobody would sell. Well, now it all burned down. Uh, and I, I think it, it, I'm still not hearing anything about how this happened. They said there was a hurricane 200 miles away. And yet there was no wind prior, just prior to the fire breaking out. And then once it did break out, they said the wind was 60 to 70 miles an hour. What generated that wind? If there's not a front coming through, if there's not a hurricane coming through, clear skies. And people that lived there, they said they were headed toward the little town from the middle of the island, said that they could see clear skies. The wind was not blowing. All of a sudden, all the lights started going out of the town. Everything that was electric stopped working. That's why these, the early warning system didn't work, because there was no electricity. It almost makes you wonder if they were had been, were attacked by some kind of a power surge. Uh, you know, you hear about these uh, mega electronic or electromagnet uh, weapons that are out there that can cause all kinds of havoc. Uh and what they used to say, well, we'll all find out what happened sooner or later. I, I no longer believe that. And now I sit there and say, you know, are they going to let us in on this? Or are we going to figure it out for ourselves? Because ain't nobody talking. And that's what's uh, going on there. But we're going to continue to follow it. I'm not letting it go. Steve Bradshaw, my good friend from Texas that lives here as an author, his daughter and her family live on Maui. I did talk to him, said they're safe, and they were helping other people because uh, it's just dire straits there. I mean, these people have lost everything. And uh, I understand that the state of uh, Hawaii is going to come up with some kind of a fund that they can loan them money, but not to rebuild there, to go someplace else and rebuild. And they're not giving them the money. They want to loan it to them. You know what the hell these people all made? 80% of the income of uh, Lanai was from tourism. Well, they got nothing to come see. How convenient. So there's no way for them to make a living, but there is uh, a way for the millionaires and billionaires coming in here to doze everything and build their mega 
mansions. I'm very concerned about what's going on, Maui. Very concerned. Uh, I do want to talk about you know, uh, the Michael Orr. He's come out with, I understand, a book. And it was on um, today on uh, uh, ESPN. The uh, New York Post had an article about it. And uh, it is uh, really concerning because it's uh, it, uh, basically it's him saying that's a blindside subject or alleges the Tuies made millions off a lie that he was not really adopted and that they made millions off the movie, millions off the book. And, uh, and, and, you know, I, I think what's happened is he met an, a, law, a lawyer someplace. He said, Hey man, I'll show you how to make some money. His football career is over. He bought some kind of a hamburger franchise, as I understand it here in, in Memphis, three locations. It's, uh, Jimmy's or something like that. There's one on Poplar down by Clark Tower, uh, Poplar and uh, Mendenhall. There's another one on Germantown Parkway, one in Collierville on Poplar and Collierville. I drive by there. I see a couple of cars there. I've eaten there a couple of times just trying to support it, but I don't see a lot of traffic. I, I just wonder when you start, you know, his football career is over. So he writes his book and it says it's all a lie. And as uh, they, he really wasn't adopted. So today, uh, Sean Tui came out and into the Daily Memphians, uh, Memphian, and made a uh, did an interview, and this is what he basically had to say. Sean Tui said that he saw the uh, news today, August fourteenth, when he friend sent it to him from ESPN. The headline: Blindside subject or alleges Tui's made millions off a lie. His reaction. We're devastated, he said. It's upsetting to think we would make money off of our children. But we're going to love Michael at 37 just like we loved him at 16. Blindside NFL lineman Michael Orr says he was tricked by the Tui family. Michael Orr, 37, filed a petition in probate court Monday alleging that he was, when he was 18, the Tui family tricked him into signing a document making them conservators and have since made millions off that line. The Blind Side, the movie about Orr and the Tui family, starring Sandra Bullock and Tim McGraw as Leanne and Sean Tui, grossed more than $300 million at the box office. But let me tell you something. I've known a lot of people in the movie business, and ain't nobody but the movie stars, they get their money up front, and if they get any kind of uh, percentage of the gross, they get that. But the producers, they get their name up there saying they produced it, but I promise you, with expenses and cost overruns and da 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 da, they never make a dime. Three hundred million may sound like a lot, but if you look at what the government spends, it ain't a drop in a bucket. "Quote: We didn't make any money off the movie," Tui said. "Well, Michael Lewis, the author of the book The Blind Side, gave us half of his share. Everybody in the family got an equal share, including Michael. It was about fourteen thousand dollars each." We were never offered money. We never asked for money. My money is well documented. You can look up how much I sold my company for. Tui sold the bulk of his fast food franchises in six separate transactions, totaling $213 million, according to the reports. The last thing I needed was forty grand from a movie, Tui said. I will say it was upsetting that people would think I would want to make money off of my children. Tui said that the conservatorship at the heart of Monday's petition in Shelby County Probate Court had nothing to do with the movie. It was a way to appease the NCAA when it appeared or might be playing football at Ole Miss. I mean, you look at the trouble that uh, Penny Hardaway got into just helping some kid out staying at his house when he was in high school because he had no place to go. 
the same story here, but they advised the Tuies that if they became conservators, then it would be legal. So Michael was obviously living with us for a long time, and the NCAA didn't like that, Tuies said. They said it's the only way Michael could go to Ole Miss was if he actually was a part of the family. I sat Michael down and told him, if you're planning to go to Ole Miss or even considering Ole Miss, we think you have to be part of the family. This would do that legally. We contracted lawyers who had told us that we couldn't adopt over the age of 18. The only thing we could do was to have a conservatorship. Let me read that again. The lawyers told us that we could not adopt over the age of 18. They met him when he was 16 years old, and he lived with them till he graduated from high school. The only thing we could do was to have a conservatorship. We were so concerned it was on the up and up that we made sure the biological mother even came to court. As for whether the Tuies would now be willing to end the conservatorship, of course, he said, I want whatever Michael wants. For years, after the movie came out, the Tuies and Oars remained close. If we didn't go to a game, he was unhappy, Tuies said. We had somebody at every game for five years. And I know that's true because we were there for a lot of them. Tuies said he began to sense real distance in the relationship maybe a year and a half ago, but he said he was still stunned to get the news Monday morning. It's upsetting, but it's a life. It's just life. What are you going to do? Certain people will believe us and certain people won't. It's hard because you have to defend yourself, but whatever the wants, what he wants, we'll do. We're not in this for anything other than whatever he wants. If, if he had said, I don't want to be part of the family anymore, we would have been very upset, but we absolutely would have done it. No question the allegations are insulting, but look, it's a crazy world. You've got to live in it. And it's obviously upset everybody. Uh, it, it's as I said, my son was in school with Michael. They uh, he was in a math class with him. Uh, Sandra and, and Sean uh, are friends of Kathy and mine, and we don't hang out together. They're obviously at a different echelon than we are, but we see them at events, and they've always been very pleasant. And it was always been made very clear that uh, they loved their kids, including Michael and. And I never got the impression ever that they were writing him for anything. And I happen to know how much people make off books and movies and ain't anywhere near what people think it is. There are people making money off it, but it's usually never the people that really deserve it. So I hope they work it out. Families have these things arise, and it's usually always because there's money involved. And, and usually there's an attorney involved someplace. So all I ask that you give everybody equal opportunity as, as we have here in, in telling both sides of the story. You can look up Michael's side of the story. It's on ESPN.com and read what he has to say about it and the fact that uh, it was all a big lie. And I pray for all of them because nothing is more disheartening than to have your family break apart over money. And welcome back on a uh, hot Monday afternoon. Uh, coming up in the next segment, we got uh, Daniel Irwin, and we're going to be talking a lot about a lot of ripoffs are going on right now with the uh, young people, especially are vulnerable. You'd think it would be mostly old people. They, I think they stick old people with, with more uh, ripoffs, but younger people outnumber them in the number. They just don't have the money. So if, if you're a ripoff artist and they answer the phone, they go, hi there, what's happening? See, is there, you got a grandfather around there someplace? Because <laughs> that's who we're shooting for. Uh, we were uh, talking about the Sean Tui case just a second ago and, and him coming out and uh, responding to the Michael Orr claims that his uh, whole deal was a ripoff. And 
And it's it's just really sad that that has to come to that because I think everybody is, uh, everybody, my sister has an old saying, it goes like this, uh, no good deed goes unpunished. (laughs) Every time you try to help somebody and help them get ahead, the next thing you know, they're going, um, now that uh, you end up, uh, that was the worst thing you could have ever done for me. And so... Uh, and then this came out today that we were talking about the Maui situation, uh, a report after hours on the beach, Joe's been out there at the beach in, uh, Delaware again, waving at the people. I always think it's interesting. They don't wave back. He waves. They don't wave back, but he had no comment about the rising death toll in Hawaii. I mean, how does that happen? How do you, I don't care how senile you are when you say, how about that horrible situation in Maui? And you go, no comment. What does that mean? Uh, President Biden reportedly said, I had no comment when asked Sunday about the rising death toll. Bloomberg's White House reporter Justin Sink tweeted the president's claim response Sunday evening from Delaware after a couple hours on the Rebooth Beach. Uh, the president of the United States was asked about the rising death toll, and he said no comment. And I, he did it again when he was getting in a car. Or, or that, was, that was the same one, but I saw the video as well. Think Alpo supposed to a photo of Biden on the beach, surrounded by several people in beach chairs. But I don't think there was reds. I think there was Secret Service. Let's get some people over here. Do we have to? After a couple of hours on the real booth, the beach, uh, the POTUS was asked about the rising death toll, and that's what he said. No comment. He arrived at the beach uh, home on Saturday. I uh, returned to the White House on Monday. This guy, I read some other day. He has spent like. Forty-eight percent of his time since he's been in the White House in Delaware at the beach or his house. Um, said you got to go back twenty back twenty-five to see anything regarding Maui. The president said at his beach house, I don't, "You got to go back twenty-five." Uh, the messenger noted Biden's last twenty-four posts on X were pats on the back for protecting land and the bio uh, binomics. And he said, you have to go back 25 to see anything regarding Maui. The president is at his beach house in Delaware, where he just gave a no comment to report asking about Maui. Other guys, I just... And then his son, Hunter, has come out, and now he's saying that the prosecutors have reneged on their plea deal. Because he said, look, man, we had a deal. They signed off on it. It was their idea. Then they come back, and they go... Well, wait a minute. This thing says that uh, if you commit any crime now or in the future, we can't prosecute you for it. We we need to take another look at that. And now his new attorney said, no, no, you already signed it. Too late now. Well, the deal is that that's why they were before the judge. The judge was going to be the one to sign off on it and say, that, yeah, this is a good deal on both sides. And that's part of the judge's prerogative is to say this is a good deal with the prosecution and for the defense. That didn't happen. It ain't a deal. And uh, they're just pressing on, and we'll see what happens next. At any rate, uh, we're going to be talking about ripoffs in the next segment uh, with Daniel Irwin. So stay with us. The Better Business Bureau is up next. And thank you very much, and welcome back on a hot Hot Tuesday afternoon. Joining me in studio is uh, Daniel Irwin of the Better Business Bureau. 
You see him on television all the time. <laughs> he's uh, he and I, you're always very good. You're, there's a lot of people that do this kind of thing around the country because the Better Business Bureau is all over the United yeah. States. And uh, Randy Hutchison's been doing this market for years, but you really do a very good job of explaining things. Well, thank and, you. And I think that's, you know, we're all in the communication business, but look how many people are really good communicators. <laughs> it's like, this guy can actually communicate. Well, that means a lot coming from you, Earl. You're, you're definitely a legend in the business. So, uh, you know, a lot of what I learned, I learned from watching you. So thank you. Well, I've just always said, keep it simple. <laughs> <laughs> Don't use big words. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's definitely key. Uh, and this is not a big word, scam. Right, right. And, but it's one that's uh, perpetrated daily, millions of times over. And I was really surprised to read the uh, sheet that you s- sent me on how many times it happens and the fact that it happens much more often to young people who would think be, would be more on guard because they're used to the Internet and social media. Well, it's 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 strange. So there's a new report uh, that's been issued by the FTC, and it kind of confirms confirms some things that we already knew. Um, so so. Basically, the report says that younger people or the younger demographic fall for scams more often than older people. But when older people fall for scams, they lose uh, a whole lot more money. They fall harder. Yeah, they they fall harder. (laughs) Uh, So according to this report, the median loss for younger people when they fell for a scam was $500 versus $800 for older people ages 70 to 79. Now, once you hit the 80-year mark, uh, those 80 and older lost uh, $1,500 on average to scams. Um, some other uh, findings, younger adults were 86% more likely to report losing money uh, of a scam. Now, some of that's a shame factor. Yeah. Um, you know, our best guess is that one in 17 people actually report scams. Um, with seniors, that's, that's probably uh, even more. And one of the reasons why is there's just a shame factor with it. And a lot of times, especially when seniors have lost large amounts of money, they're afraid to tell anybody yeah. uh, because they're afraid their 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 independence is going to get taken away. Exactly, you know? they think the relatives are going to say, "We're not going to let you control your money right. anymore." And uh, it's just one more sign that you're getting older, and nobody needs another sign you're getting older. Right, and and on the reverse side of that, uh, we're finding that younger people they they don't really seem to care. There's not that shame factor there. They they their whole lives are on social media, so I mean it's not they, uncommon. They have no shame. Yeah. So, so, you know, that's another finding. Also, um, you know, uh, young people were four more, uh, four times more likely to report a loss to an investment scam, uh, particularly, uh, with like, uh, cryptocurrency. Yeah. So again, you know, it's probably happening in the senior community a lot more. We just don't know about it. Um, and then younger people are far more likely to report that a scam they lost money to originated on social media. Now, we know a lot of people are on Facebook. Younger people aren't on Facebook very much anymore these days. It's primarily older people. Uh, but uh, they also older people are targeted for different kinds of scams. So if you look at the scams that younger people are falling for, um, they're, they're targeted usually on social media, but it's kind of a wide net. But when seniors are falling for these scams and losing these large, large amounts of money, they're being targeted because they're seniors. Well, of course, and what they do is they, that's the reason I get all these messages from these young girls in Sweden (laughs) wanting to be my friend. And they say things like, your your comments and your photographs are so interesting. Right, right. (laughs) So you're going, 
Well, then we also see uh, the, the the major scams that seniors fall for and they lose large amounts of money to are your your typical government imposter scams, right? Those yeah. are the IRS scams, the Social Security scams, the fake police scams. Mm-hmm. Then also we see a, a lot of government grant scams. Yeah. Those are those fake government grants for seniors that all you got to do to get this this free government grant is you have to send five hundred dollars, right? Registration fee. Right. Right. We, and, and what's really sad is, again, when seniors fall for that, they lose a lot of money. And again, they, they don't tell anybody. The other one that's really prevalent in the senior community that we continue to combat all the time is a publisher's clearinghouse scam. Yeah. And this one's really nasty. Well, because they get national attention every day when they advertise. Right. And they go, well, they're out there. And it's a reputable name. People yeah. know it. And then, of course, when they call you, your caller ID, they spoof caller ID, and it says publisher's clearinghouse. <laughs> I've won. Right? right. And then also, you know, this is something to think about. We have so many seniors that are shut-ins, and they don't have a lot of outside yeah. contact with other people. We saw this a lot during covid they didn't ever talk to anybody. So when these scammers call, guess what? They've got nothing but time. Yeah. They're, they're talking to, to these seniors, sometimes an hour, two hours, three hours at a time. They build a rapport. They build a relationship with them before they ever ask for money. So, you know, they're, they're taking the time to kind of plant the seed. And when there's nobody there watching out for some of these vulnerable seniors, especially the ones on fixed income, you know, $3,000 to somebody younger who's starting their career, they're going to make that back. Yeah. But $3,000 to a senior in South Memphis who's on a fixed income, you know, that's a really hard hurdle to overcome. That's eating and medicine, and uh, they can't afford it. Plus, I, I think that, as you said, people are lonely, and they these people are con people. Yeah. And they call up, and they start asking them about themselves. Right. Do you, so do you have grandchildren? Right. Do you live alone? Right. Very key question, because that means there's nobody going to interrupt this conversation. The other thing to watch out for, too, are these young women that try to get me to talk to them. I always say, let's get off of Facebook and go right. to an other, someplace where we right. can talk. They're always trying to take it yeah. take it off of a public yeah. forum and, and try to make it private. Yeah. So there are all those things that uh, my advice to anybody uh, that's uh, older is, and it works both ways, men and women. Uh, they're they're Young, attractive men that say, you remind me of my Aunt Molly, and uh, right. I think she's, you're so pretty just like she is. Everybody likes to be flattered, and and so that's how they get the hook in, and once they hook you, then it's a matter of them completing the scam. Right. Uh, so what's the bottom line of what to watch out for for this? Well, you know, there's some basic things that you can do, and, and, and Earl, these these go for everything. Um, just don't send money to people you don't know, right? You yeah. know, and and. Knowing somebody more than online, right? Uh, you know, if you're messaging somebody with somebody on Facebook, that doesn't count as knowing them. Don't send money. Um, don't share any personal information with someone you've only, only met online. Don't click on random links, right? We're always telling you not to click on links. Uh, make sure a website's real. You know, you want to look for scammer grammar. Make sure it's a secure site. You want HTTPS. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to look for that little lock icon, especially if you're doing online shopping. Always use a credit card if possible when you're shopping online. And be weary of anything that's just too good to be true, right? It probably really is. If it seems too good to be true, if it seems like too good of a deal, if it seems like this can't be real, trust your gut. Because nine times out of ten, you're going to be right. Well, if you're like me, nothing good ever happened. So <laughs> I, I won one white rabbit. We lived in Mexico at this little carnival. It's the only thing I've ever won in my life. And then we had to leave it when we left Mexico. But uh, speaking of um, online scams, yeah. um, one that is uh, – goes on it's not really a scam but it is a way to keep you on the app for another year if you don't bail on it like you want to cancel it. i had a, this app that I, mm-hmm. I used when i was streaming my show live from my house uh two years during the COVID thing and it was coming up for either renewal or cancellation 
So I canceled it, and they sent me a message. They said, well, you didn't cancel 10 days before it expired, right. which is our policy. And if you'll notice, back when you signed on, you agreed to that policy in the very minuscule. Pre-checked boxes. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. So there, uh, what we did is uh, we went back and forth and said, uh, you know, they said, are you satisfied? We'll give you a credit for the next year. Should you ever want to reuse this particular app again, you, you won't have to pay your initiation. Are, are you satisfied with that? And Kathy and I were sitting there writing back to us and said, no, we're not. We're going to contact our credit card and we're going to have them stop payment on it. The very next morning, I get up and look at my email. I got an email from them saying, uh, we have successfully refunded your money to your credit card. Yeah. Because, and that's what you got to do is yeah. you got to stand your ground because, you know, of all the most people don't stand their ground. So they just try to intimidate you. Um, what you're talking about, we call a subscription trap. It's a uh, it's pretty common. Um, it's common on apps. It's also a common on like reoccurring charges and things you sign up for online. But what you want to watch out for is pre-checked boxes. Now, there, there, there are laws against this, but, um, you know, it, it can be really fuzzy. But essentially what happens is at the very, very bottom of the screen when you're agreeing to something, there's a little pre-checked box with wording that you can't read without right. super glasses that's going to say, you know, I authorize a monthly charge of blah, 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 blah until I cancel, right? So you thinking you're signing up for a month or a one-time subscription and you, you end up signing up for something you don't even know about. And just a lot of times you don't even understand what it is until a year later when it hits your card on a yearly basis. Um, so yeah, you have to be really careful. You, you want to look for pre-checked boxes and these are all questions you want to ask before you actually agree to something. Something else I saw this at the golf tournament, and I've seen it in other things like, uh, home shows and outdoor shows and gardening shows is where they have games. You can come play for prizes. But they just want you to get your email so they can send you some more information. And sell your email address. And they sell your email yeah, address. Yeah. Sure, they like, want to send you something, but they really want to sell your information is the, what it is. The whole entire process is to get your email. Mm-hmm. That's the whole thing. And they, I remember one of these, they had a big uh, spinning board. that they, they had all these vacations. And they, you could, uh, you'd could you spin around, and then if you putt and you made the putt, then it, you'd spin the wheel and whatever it stopped, that's the thing you want. But I sat there, we were there all afternoon for two days, and um, they came close, but nobody ever won one. <laughs> I sat there and went, okay, I see how this works. There's very little in life that's free. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, you know, you're you're paying for it some way, somehow. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about is uh, right now with this tragedy in Maui, and people are wanting to help out. And I know the people in Maui are saying there are two specific charities that these are bona fide. Yeah. One's the Red Cross. I can't recall the other one. But and, and you need to go to there and and once again look for the HTTP and the right. lock and make sure that you're you're donating to a real charity a charity that you've heard of one that's experienced that already has the infrastructure in place you don't want to waste your money there are a lot of well intended people out there that aren't trying to fleece you and they're not trying to scam you but they just don't have the resources or mm-hmm. the infrastructure to help right so a lot of times people send money with good intentions. To, to a group or an organization that really may want to help, but they just don't have the infrastructure. And so you're not getting bang for your buck. That money's not really going to help the people in Maui. So you want to make sure that you're donating to experienced groups for and sure. You, and you can actually go online and uh, type in the name of the charitable organization and go into their website. And right. they have to, by law, list how much of the money that's taken in by them actually goes for what their charity is right. for. Yeah. 
because established charities have a track record that can be evaluated and can, you know, and you can actually look at it. Um, be really careful of crowdfunding when it comes to this kind of thing, because there's there's not a, a proper amount of vetting when it comes to like GoFundMe and that kind of thing. And there's no real way of knowing whether or not your money's going to where it go, it's supposed to go. And again, just because they have intentions of giving the money to the residents of Maui, they may not have the infrastructure, the know-how or, or you know, really any any way of doing that. The other thing we see a lot of times, and I've already started to see it uh, so far, is you have celebrities that are going to tweet links out of how you can help. Mm. And it just because a celebrity, uh, you know, or or whoever's managing the celebrity's uh, social media account tweets something out, doesn't mean it's been vetted by that celebrity. But a lot of times, it's taken as an endorsement. When in reality, they're just saying, "Hey, here's something we want to help out." They're not thinking through it, so yeah. don't take that as law. Just because The Rock's tweeted out a organization that you can donate mm-hmm. to doesn't mean that you need to do it without doing your own research. And just because you like that particular actor doesn't mean that the actor's that bright and knows right. what they're doing. And again, it's probably not even the actor that's doing it. The actor's got a staff, and someone is yeah. staffing his social media and has tweeted this link out, and you don't know whether that's been vetted or not. And again, may not be malicious, but your money may not be getting to where, you know, you want it to go. And it really needs to go to help these people because, I mean, the pictures are devastating. Oh, it's awful. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is, uh, once it leaves your hand, your clicker, your bank account, it's gone. Right. You, you can't get it back. And honestly, you really have no clue. I, most of the time, this is one where there are a lot of scams around it, but but you, you're always going to be in limbo of not knowing because once you've sent your money somewhere... You don't know where it really goes. No. So that's why you've got to stay to, to well-established charities with a track record that you know of and that, that are, are, are regulated. There you go. Daniel Irwin with the Better Business Bureau. Thank you, sir. Always very informative. Thanks for having me. Stay cool. We'll be right back. I always liked it when Dean Martin would sing this song. Hi, everybody. Uh, D. Martin here. Well, anyway, welcome back on a <clears throat> hot uh, day. I was hot this uh, past week out at the golf tournament. Great golf tournament, though. Uh, was, we were out there Thursday and Friday. Got to see a lot of people. A lot of people dropped by the booth. Um, we were over there in a place called The Hub and uh, set up there, and it was uh, it was good seeing everybody that came by. We had a great view of the 18th fairway and uh, great uh, crowds that were out there. I think everybody that attended had a good time. The Goodyear Blimp was there, uh, and the um, it was just a great tournament. 70 of the best golfers in the world were playing there. And a guy that's like, uh, I think he's 43 or 44, uh, so I always pull for the old dude, although to me, 43 or 44 is the young dude, <laughs> but he wasn't as young as the other dudes. Uh, but, uh, he ended up, uh, hanging in there. I think he learned not to wear khaki pants at a golf tournament in Memphis in the summertime though, cause they were absolutely soaked through with sweat by the time it got to the end of the tournament, but a great tournament. And, um, I thank everybody, uh, for coming by the Sheriff Bonner came by. We had, uh, Jack Sammons, uh, had, uh, just a, a lot of folks that came by and, and, uh, and they had a good time out there. You just had to walk slow because it was hot. And the first day we were there, it was almost cold inside the hub because it was a cool day that Thursday. But then Friday came along and the heat returned and, uh, it was, uh, it was even hot inside the hub. Uh, but speaking of hot, uh, which is what it usually is for Memphis in May, 
Memphis May's World Championship Barbecue Cookie Contest may be moving out of Tom Lee Park. According to an email obtained by WREG Memphis in May, is exploring locations other than Tom Lee Park for the Barbecue Fest. The cooking contest is still scheduled to go on in 2024. But the decision is reportedly driven by the plans for Tom Lee Park's final design as well as an increased sum to use the Tom Lee Park. If you'll recall, they... They came up and they wanted them to put down $650,000 security deposit for any kind of um, destruction to the park. That's a lot of money for, you know, uh, tire tracks on the grass and, uh, you know, uh, bent trees and stuff. But uh, then they came back and said, well, there's more damage than that. They wanted to pay $1.4 million total damage for this year's Memphis in May. Uh, it says, considering the final park design, the extraordinary punitive restoration fee, Memphis and May is exploring venue options other than Tom Lee Park for the future, the email stated. Statement issued by Memphis and May went on to say, we regret this circumstance and appreciate all the hard work and understanding from Memphis and May. I don't believe that for a second. I think that Carol Coletta and uh, the whole riverfront uh, um foundation or whatever they call it uh had no intention of letting the barbecue come back down there on a permanent basis i think this was in their plan all along let them come back for one year say they caused so much damage charge them so much for uh staying there and not letting as many people in and, and that, so they couldn't make enough money and they couldn't sustain it and that would be the end of it uh, we'll talk about this a little bit more in the show but uh, coming up next we've got hal lansky with lansky brothers uh, coming on to talk about Elvis Week. Stay with us. It's up next. He grew up in the oil fields of West Texas. He's been all over the Western Hemisphere. A radio and TV veteran, former restaurateur, and a cowboy at heart. He's Earl Farrell, and he calls Memphis home because Memphis is cool. This, this is the Earl Farrell for Memphis show, brought to you by Southern Security, your home team credit union, and by Kathy Thurman Edwards State Farm Insurance. And now, here's your host, Earl Farrell. And thank you very much, and welcome back on a hot Tuesday. This is right in the middle of Elvis week, which is uh, always very interesting because uh, you have thousands and thousands of fans uh, that come from all over the world every year. I've been covering Graceland uh, and the Elvis story since uh, January of 1978. He died in August of 77, as everyone knows. And I got here right after that. And one of the very first people that I met when I came first came to Memphis was Bernard Lansky and his son, Hal. Um, and, uh, been friends with them ever since. Unfortunately, Bernard passed away a few years ago, but Hal is still alive and kicking, working with his daughter, Julie, running Lansky's and, uh, killing them. I think we got, uh, Hal on the line right now. Are you there, Hal? I am, Earl. How you doing, buddy? I'm great. Was, we were trying to call Hal a minute ago and he wasn't answering, so I called him on my, my cell phone because he has my number. And I thought maybe he's not answering because yeah. he didn't recognize the number. He goes, no, I'm trying to sell somebody. So I said, you're just like your daddy. Now, this is this is this is Elvis Week. I'm on the sales floor. You know, customers <laughs> always come first. Absolutely, that's never changed. Yeah, that's my dad would say. A bird in the hands worth two in the bush. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Your dad had Come a on, he he had a saying for everything. What was it when he put something on somebody and and say the streets are calling you? What was that? Oh, he said he said the mir- the mirror's looking at you. and The streets want you. <laughs> yeah. 
And he always tells people he still did this. And I've heard you say it too. He said, leave the tag on. That's a sign of success. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Show, show them how much you love them when you give them that Lansky, a gift from Lansky. Absolutely. I put up a photograph of you and, uh, Boo Mitchell uh, that he was holding two of his Grammys. Yeah. And I said, that yeah. is a Lansky's jacket he's got on right there. I recognize it yeah, anywhere. We, yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we, uh, we're proud of Boo Mitchell's what he, what he's done. And, uh, you know, he's, He's a Memphis icon. I used to wait, take care of his dad, Willie. You know, when uh, you know, years ago, I was just a salesman, you know, trying to make Willie look good. Now, if you, you take care of the uh, celebrities and stars, you're known as a stylist. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I have do. To charge you an extra 150 an hour if I if I tell you I'm a stylist. So, well, I just remember your dad. I had the pleasure to spend several weeks with you guys making a a uh, documentary on. Mm-hmm. Bernard and his brothers and how they got started and all that he right. did. And one of the things I was right. very impressed with is that, uh, his work ethic and your work ethic and Julie's work ethic. I mean, it has definitely been handed down. You guys don't slack off. You didn't hire people to come run your store. You're there every single day. And- we're, we're there. <laughs> there's, there's always a Lansky in here most of the time, but yeah, we like to take care of our customers, you know? And it's, uh, I just remember when, when your dad was telling me the story about people like Isaac Hayes and, uh, and, uh, oh, uh, Wolfman, David Porter, David Porter Wolfman yeah. Jack, these guys came in, yeah. they had gigs they were supposed to play at. They had no clothes. They, they right. could, they had no performance clothes. Right. And that's right. when your dad actually started the, uh, it wasn't the layaway. They got to walk away, the walk away plan. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah. <laughs> You know, my dad gave Elvis uh, credit. I gave David Porter credit. You know, he he believed in these young guys, and they turned out to uh, uh, you know be big stars and appreciate it. We're still friendly with uh, David Porter, and of course Isaac Hayes and Elvis and the rest of the gang. It's not too many of those guys left. No. So uh, I remember he was telling me that Isaac actually walked in and had the sole of his shoe roped on. He had a piece of rope had holding on. He said. Said Mr. Lansky, said, I got to have something to look good in tonight. He said, "We're going to fix you uh, up," and he did. Yeah, he he had a wire on his shoes, like a bailing wire, and uh, and you know, and when he got his Oscar or his, his uh, Oscar for the, a shaft in nineteen seventy two, yes, uh, he he was so proud of what he did. He came back and he he uh, he drove that uh, the Cadillac, uh, the Pentmobile. He drove it up the <laughs> store and he said, "Mr. Lansky, Mr. Lansky, look what I got." And he said, "Look here," and he started the car from the inside of the store and he said, Mr. Lansky, I got a refrigerator in the, in, in the back seat. And that exact car is out at, uh, rock, uh, it the, stacks. Uh, uh, stacks, it stacks, you know, roll, going around like a little record yeah, the, player. What was it? The, the yeah. gold radiator on the front. And, right. uh, yeah. well, it's just, it, nope. it, 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 people in your guitar collection there on the walls, uh, at the Peabody now is just, it, it's worth going to the store alone. Just to look at that. You've assembled, an incredible collection of guitars and these are all people that come to memphis and they want to come to lansky's meet you guys and mm-hmm. be part of their history here right you, you know everybody wants to go, come they want to shop where elvis shop they want to walk on the streets where elvis uh elvis walk so it's you know it's just people are paying uh homage um, homage to elvis and uh, of course this is the 46th year of elvis's death I, I i know you know but a lot of people out there they don't know that Elvis has been uh, gone longer than he was living. And yeah. it's amazing. You know, 46 after, uh, years after his death, people are, are coming in and uh, they're, they're making it. Uh, I've seen 
your daily uh, daily pilgrimage, a week, a yearly pilgrimage, and uh, you know this uh, next this uh, tomorrow night, you know, for the candlelight vigil uh, in memory of Elisa Marie is going to be a real tearjerker yeah. this year. Yeah. Well, it is, and and of course she's buried right there next to Elvis and Gladys and Vernon right. and. Uh, her son. It, her yeah. son. Yeah. It is yeah. uh, that that whole thing last year was just just such a tragedy. Um, yeah. I know tonight uh, Linda Thompson is doing a private tour of the mansion of Graceland, uh, and, right. and folks are paying her a thousand dollars a person to take them through there and give the, yeah. the Linda Thompson this is what it was like when I lived here, which I think would yeah. be fascinating. Yeah, so it's a little more than a thousand. Oh, is it? I didn't. How much? We'll let, you, we'll let you slide for a thousand. I think it's. <laughs> uh, I think it's eleven or twelve hundred. Yeah. Well, you know, I was thinking, anyway. when I heard that, I said, "Hell, ought to do that, man." You got as many stories as Linda Thompson, and uh, you were out there all the time. Tell them about how yeah. you used to take the van, the Lansky van, drive it out to Grayson with some new shirts and pants, and tell them how that worked. You know, you know, uh, Earl. You know, when Elvis started out he he was able to come in the Lansky store but you know in in the you know 60s and stuff he, he got so famous he couldn't walk out of his house my dad used to say he was like a, a fish in a fishbowl mm-hmm. so, so I took stuff out there and uh you know a lot of a lot of times um um a lot of times uh, he would keep everything uh you know he he would he loved clothes and if he if he didn't wear them he would give them away that's that's a that's a perfect customer just kept everything just gave it away but I remember one time I drove drove through the gates of Graceland, and it's like the gates just kind of like opened by themselves. So I drove up to the house. So I, I, I knocked on the door, uh, and then all of a sudden, like the door just magically opened. And I walked in the, the foyer, and, uh, you know, you're there right at the steps. The next thing I know, it, it was like magical. Elvis was at the top of the steps. He, you know, he looked cool. He was in a row, but he walked down. Every step, it's like like eternity, like ten minutes for every step. You know that's how long I thought it was uh, to come down the steps. So he came and he had his hand in the right, uh, uh, right, um, his right um, pocket uh, pocket, and uh, it was, I think he had a gun in there. I didn't see it, but I, I think he did. <laughs> Would not surprise but, me. <laughs> yeah, but when he got down there, he was—I uh, don't think he was excited to see me. He was so so excited for the clothes. He started putting them on. And, you know, and this is in the seventies. This was a year of. Uh, a decade of fashion we hope never, never return. Yes, I agree. So, uh, so anyway, he put the coat on, he put that pimp hat on, and, he, you know, if you're, if you're, uh, the radio listeners are used to the, spending the match, and they know the, the, as you walk in the house, to the left is a dining room. So he right. walked in the dining room, he slammed, he slammed the door open, he said, Hey, look at me. And if I told you the rest of the story, Earl, I'd have to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you uh, can. Yeah, it, was, it was quite a, quite a memory, yeah. Well, it was probably less than a minute. He was it seemed like two hours walking down those steps. Well, he was a he was a great showman. That was as much about who he was as anything else, and that's why I loved the clothes. Uh, and it, it, even stories of my mother in law and her sisters were at the um, uh, Ellis Auditorium when they were in high school because they went to Humes. Uh-huh. Elvis came in; they knew who he was, but that long before he was famous. But he was he stood out so much; everybody knew who he was. And but he said that he had uh, these stripes that he sewed on the his pants himself, and that's how fashion conscious he was. Yeah, he, he actually yeah. he if he he could make it different, he didn't want to look like everybody else. But when you think of, you're in the fashion industry, most young people want to look exactly like everybody else. Yeah, exactly. But uh, he he was cool. He was 
know, he wore pink, and back then men didn't wear pink, and uh, you know, everybody everybody wanted to beat him up because uh, he was wearing pink. <laughs> but but the but the real reason they wanted to beat him up was the girls liked him. No, he was taking taking away everybody's girlfriend, so that's why they wanted to beat him up. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, and then that happened wherever he went because the girls would just go crazy, and the boys didn't know how to handle it. Said, what are yeah. they going crazy over? He's just a guy singing, but uh, Elvis uh, struck a chord with everybody, and uh, it's yeah. just an amazing, really? amazing time. Have you seen Have you seen the uh, new Elvis movie? Yes, I have. I thought yeah. it was very excellent. I thought it was very good, and it's we were, we were awesome. It, I was saying earlier, I've been covering Elvis since 19, January 1978 when I got here after he passed away. And it's still hard to me to believe that it's almost been 50 years. And mm-hmm. how you must feel having, you know, 60, 70 years, you've known Elvis, you've they've been such a huge part of the Lansky experience. Right. That it's sometimes our you, DNA, yeah. do you, you yeah. sit there and it, it's got to be hard for you to even believe it even happened. It, it's it's time is unbelievable going by so quick and it's un- unbelievable, unbelievable. Now, now your daughter julie it's, she runs yep. the store with you does she have the same passion that you do for oh, the she, store and the story she, oh she does you know you know uh my dad started it so he's first generation i'm second ge- the second generation maintains it and uh, the third generation either cashes out or screws it up i don't know if it'll make it to uh, <laughs> I don't know if it'll make it to the fourth generation, but y'all know if it, if it wasn't for Julie, I wouldn't really probably be working as hard as I do. I, we, we love what we do. We, we both of us love to keep my dad's legacy alive along with, uh, Elvis and, uh, just a whole Memphis heritage. Uh, we we're very honored and humbled to be part of our di- di- dynamic, uh, uh, historical city. But, uh, yeah, not a lot of people can say they have as much history. In- no. And you guys have, have a- more history. You guys have a book out, right? Right. It's uh, we have we have our history book. It's uh, it's our seventy seventh year, seventy seven years in the making. Wow. Yep. And yep. where can can they get that at Lansky's downtown? They can get it at Lansky Lansky's downtown. We do have a website, LanskyBros dot com. We have a a new children's book out. It's for children of all ages. It tells the story how my dad met um, this young young nobody and this young nobody. Uh, followed his dream and came out turned out to be the greatest entertainer of all time well so you can dream big man it's out there you just got to go get it that, that's right now in years past you would open up a pop-up store just for elvis week out near graceland are you guys doing that this year or are you just downtown no we're no we're not we're uh we're taking care of business in the uh in the peabody hotel we're Good. just a, just a we're just a waddle away from the famous <laughs> peabody duck well i think that it is such an experience to go to the store that uh, I always would tell people that when we'd go out to cover Grace, I said, well, come here, buy something if you want. But downtown is where the, the history and, and the, the, the ambiance is, is really at. And just seeing you guys in action. I, 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 in fact, I tell people that go down there and watch Julie and Hal sell. And, and it is like a PhD in salesmanship. You will learn. Thank, so. thank you, Ross. You're, well, you're our biggest fan. Well, I am. I love you guys, Thank and I love Lansky's, and and, and Ron, Ron Olson does too. He's got about eight of your coats, and uh, yeah, he, and he, he, come get some more. Tell him <laughs> to see him. I'm waiting on him. <laughs> I will do that. Well, happy Elvis week, uh, Hal, okay, and please tell your lovely daughter hi for me, and I'll come see him. Okay, say uh, hello to your wife. I, I will do Thank that. Thank you so much for thinking about us. Oh, you're sure welcome. Hey, Hal. I, one more question. Sure. Was it was it hot out there at the golf tournament? 
past couple of days. I think I lost about ten pounds just walking in and out. So that, yeah. that, in that respect, it was a, it was a good thing. Uh, just like, uh, is this a call for Hal coming in? Okay. That was a, we had a call. It said it was downtown, so I didn't know what it was. Anyway, Hal, thank you very much, brother. Love you. Thank you. I'll see you soon. Okay. Okay, Thank you. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. And welcome back on a uh, Monday afternoon. Uh, the, uh, Tragedy in Maui is really just, uh, I just can't get over it. When you look at the total destruction, it almost looks like a nuclear blast. Uh, and, and I've seen videos where you can see the ground burning and there's nothing on the ground for to burn. Uh, you're hearing all kinds of uh, different theories, uh, and they're really not coming out and, and offering any kind of explanation as to what had happened other than the fact that the early warning detection system didn't go off. All radio and TV communication stopped. Cell phone uh, communication stopped. Now, after the fires, they said that all the towers burned down. That's why you can't communicate now. But why did it all stop at once before uh, the winds picked up? Uh, where did the winds come from? There was a hurricane, but it was 200 miles away. And very seldom does a hurricane have winds of 60, 70,000, 60, 70 miles an hour, uh, 200 miles ahead of it. Now, there's just so many questions to answer. Then uh, I saw some, uh, it was pretty gruesome, but it's some video today of like a, a pit bull that was in the middle of a parking lot and it's dead. It was burned to death, but it wasn't even charred. I mean, that's just stuff you don't see. I mean, things... When they die of smoke inhalation, usually they're curled up. I'll tell you what it reminds me of is is when uh, they excavated the old um, Pompeii volcano in Italy, and they, they you know excavated these uh, towns, and they would find whole families curled up on the floor uh, together, huddling. All these bodies and the dogs and stuff are found just like where they were. It's like they're frozen in time, and they just fall over. Uh, I just I've, I've covered a lot of uh, disasters in my time. I've I've covered force five tornadoes where literally the tornadoes so powerful they sucked up the pavement the on the streets. Everything, every bush, shrub, and and blade of grass out of yards, trees. The houses all left from the houses were the sidewalks, the PCP pipe sticking out of the ground, and nothing else. And uh, I've never seen anything quite like this. And I, I, and I keep hearing that from other people that have covered it, and that it was so total, the destruction was so total. Then I was looking at some photographs today, and these cars will be totally uh, ash, and then there'll be a car right next to it. It was The paint still intact, not burned at all. It's just... It is a uh, very it, amazing and uh, and, it, and very troubling. I uh, I don't know where all of it's going to end, and uh, if how much we'll actually ever find out about what really happened. Um, but uh, it is uh, just uh, it is stuff like I've, I just have never seen before, and you, you would think that uh, by this time they would. Uh, you know, we'd be coming out with some explanations about what this possibly could have been, uh, especially when you have water that was right there and all you had to do was run to the water. 
we got uh, Randy Wright with the Dive Shop in. He's coming into the studio right now. We're going to talk to you more in the next segment. We've got a couple of minutes, about a minute, really, before we um, take a break. But you've seen the video in the destruction there on Maui. What, oh, yeah. What is, I mean, have you ever seen anything even similar to that? Well, I mean, I, I not in my experience. I mean, that fire is completely different from what we're normally doing. But, you know, with those high-level winds and stuff being dry, it just blew that stuff right in. And I would imagine a lot of those structures were older, and, and that's Well, they were wooden. I mean, they yeah. go back to the whaling days. And, yeah. and so it was uh, uh, old, uh, rough, strewn wood that had been dried out for centuries. Even though it is a humid environment, it's right there in the Pacific sure. Ocean, but and, and it got a lot of rain. But that's actually a desert. Is that a desert island? Because it, no, it's it's more of a tropical type of thing. But I, one of those kind of things to where the obviously it's been very arid in that part of the world for quite some time now, and with with everything that's going on, and of course they rescued a lot of people out of the water. Well, and that people went to the water, which would be the that would be my first obvious place to go. Particularly, be nice if you had a boat. But well, but they said even people that were off, and I saw a couple of boats that were anchored offshore that even burned because of the intense heat that blew uh, um, and 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 sparks and stuff going over. Yeah, I mean, it's a. I have a have a piece of property in central Louisiana that had a about a three thousand square foot cypress house on it. And it got struck by lightning, and within just a couple of minutes, they Gone. Got, when they got to the scene, it was already burning. We're talking with Randy Ride Dive Shop. We'll talk more when we come back. Stay with us. And thank you very much, and uh, welcome back. Uh, joining me in studio again is uh, Randy Ride with the Dive Shop. And I want to make sure we mention this. Uh, next Saturday, Big Luau. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to gonna roast the pig and... Have a big old time out there. Have some drinks and, and hang out. We've got um, a good friend of mine, uh, Nolan Hardison, coming in from Dive Ventures up in Springfield, Missouri, bringing a whole new line of scuba pro equipment for people to try in the pool. We're doing free try scubas. If you want to call the store, get signed up for that. We're going to do in the early morning, we're going to have some free try scuba action going on so you can get in the pool and find out what this is like. If you'd like to try, if you're certified and you'd like to try any of the new Scuba Pro stuff, we'll have that available to you to play in the pool. And then from 1 to 4, we're going to have a big old time and uh, just hang out with everybody and chat. And we got a bunch of door prizes. And if you're certified and over 18, you can enter to win a trip to go to the Philippines and wow. stay at Atlantis Resorts. Wow. For seven nights uh, and eight days, and uh, all-inclusive, you do have to be 18. You do have to be a certified diver, or we can get you certified before you go. Well, I'm over 18, and I am certifiable. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We were talking about the disaster in Maui and the fact that uh, so many people did go to the water, which would be my natural inclination. Sure, absolutely. Is to try to make it there. But they say this is hurricane velocity winds. Yeah. 75 to 100-mile-an-hour winds. And when it's blowing that hot, anybody that's ever been around an outdoor campfire, and if the wind starts blowing, it is amazing the heat it generates. Sure. Well, I mean, that's what furnaces are. They're forced air heat, you know, so... 
they can that stuff will melt metal when yeah. it's you got enough wind blowing over the fire like that. So it's just I mean, and of course they were old wooden buildings, but there is literally nothing left. It burned. Not even you know, you'll see. And of course they didn't have chimneys because they got no fireplaces. Sure, uh, but there were, you know in this part of the world, a house will burn down and there's stuff kind of sticking up a wall here. Yeah, it absolutely took everything straight down to the ground. Yeah, well, I mean, they didn't have any firefighting going on. I mean, the whole place was an inferno, so you can't even get equipment in there and get anything done. So, well, they said that it was all, so fast. All communication ceased before it even hit. That, oh, wow. That the electricity, that's why there was no early warning. Uh, the cell service wasn't working. That's why the, the no fire departments were contacted because there was no way to contact them. I mean, think about it. Yeah. And so, you know, there's all this talk. Of course, whenever there's a lack of information, there's always a, a vacuum. And that's when stories and conspiracy theories start coming sure. up. Uh, but about electro, one of those electronic uh, magnetic fields that they supposedly can set up and it wipes out all communications and, and disrupts and fires start. And, uh, but until they start coming out and, and coming up with some answers as to what happened, uh, there will be uh, um, a a rumor milled supersonic. Oh, sure. Well, people naturally speculate as to what could have happened. So I, you know, and then that takes off and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It's that old story. You pass it around through five <laughs> or six people. It's a whole new story by the time it gets to the other so, end. And, and see what's there at the end. The um, the thing downtown, too, we were talking about that earlier with uh, the early Sunday morning. There was a shooter that came out and started. They had a doing donut burnouts uh, right oh, there yeah. in front of Hooters, and then somebody started shooting. Eight people were hit. I'm amazed nobody got killed with that thing. Yeah. Um, but is when you see stuff like that, and then we had some people on the morning show, they all sat there and said, well, you know, maybe it's just time to get out of town for a while. And I think that's what everybody always thinks. And the good thing about when you go scuba diving, you are going somewhere. Absolutely. And uh, I think it does us all a little bit of good to get out of Memphis and, and go someplace else and not have to think about it for a while. I know that um, I was talking to somebody recently and they went out of town. And in fact, uh, uh, talking to somebody that went up to Wyoming they said the entire time they were gone, they didn't worry about getting their car stolen, their car broken into. They worried oh, yeah. about bears and wolves, yeah. but sure. that was it. So it's a different kind of a thing. But it's, uh, uh, I think that's one reason people love scuba so much. It is when you're down there, you're in a totally, totally different world. Uh, no phones, no faxes. You know, they have the full face mask with communications in them and I had an opportunity to take a father and, and stepson diving one time and, and Dad was trying to kind of bond and all that kind of stuff and got them certified and took them to the Bahamas. And after the first dive, and, you know, Dad insisted they get the full face mask with the comms in it because he wanted to, you know, chat back and forth. After the first dive, he came up to me and said, Randy, I don't think this thing's working right. I can't hear anything my son says. So he walked off to go do something else, and I walked up to the young man. I said, man, did you turn that thing off? And he said, yes, sir. <laughs> He didn't want to hear any more questions from yeah. his dad. Yeah, so we don't sell a lot of communications for the style of diving that we do. It's great when you need it, but, uh, you know, it's one of those kind of things. It's so serene and so peaceful. I just remember laughing underwater. I was mm -hmm. so exhilarated by it all that I was just going, this is just amazing. Because uh, you do feel like you're flying. Yeah, you and see stuff and just get 
get the giggles. And and you're so used to because I always loved water, but I was always so used to uh, going underwater and staying down as long as I could. But you get that burn when you're. Yeah. It's, it's time to go up now. Yeah. What amounted to thirty five or forty seconds as a rule. Well, actually, I I really built up my I could swim the length of the pool yeah. underwater, but it because I ran cross country and so I really expanded my lungs. But then we've talked about free diving and sure. how that works. It's amazing what you can do that you don't think. Oh, yeah. With a little bit of training, almost anybody can get past three minutes. And with just a little practice, I've seen I've seen complete people that are completely new, been free diving for like a month, uh, and they're getting five minutes in a static breath. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, I mean, it's just unbelievable. Now, they're not moving or anything. They're just floating when they're doing this stuff. But I mean, just the mere idea that a human being can hold their breath for five minutes and I've got lots of friends that are a member of the 200-meter club. Okay, that's that's deep. Yeah. <laughs> that's really deep. It, that's well, 600 feet. It's not only that you're holding your breath that long. It's the deeper you go, the more pressure is on you uh, to excel, exhale yeah, because of the pressure on your, your whole body. Yeah, you really can't do that. That's that's a key of the of the free-diving world. Just is to exhale. The first little bit of bubble that comes out of your mouth, you're disqualified from whatever thing that you're doing. It's immediate return to the surface because wow. you, you, you lose that little bubble at 66 feet. That's three times the amount of air that it would have been on the surface so you're really losing a lot of lung volume at that time. And so that's very, very dangerous in the free diving world. It's why everybody, when they start their free dive, they take their snorkel out of their mouth. Mm-hmm. And that's just a part of remembering that you're not supposed to breathe out. And so you don't let the bubbles out. So you come all the way back up. Which I know that when I used to just try to do the, uh, try to sink to the bottom, we would let all the air out and yeah. you just sunk right to the bottom. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it was completely opposite. We're talking with Randy Wright of the Dive Shop. We're going to talk about some of the trips that are, that are coming up. We already told you about one uh, that you can register for next weekend on their big luau, but we'll talk about some more coming trips. And uh, So stay with us. We'll be right back. And welcome back on uh, Monday afternoon. Hard to believe the summer is almost over, especially when it's as hot as it is right now because it's uh, – Upper heat index of about 105, 106 yeah. today. Uh, but uh, you're going places uh, this end of the summer and into the fall that uh, it's uh, you're going to be warm but not hot. Not hot, yeah. Those ocean breezes are really nice. We're going to be in Caymans uh, uh, just after Thanksgiving. We're going to spend about five days down there, just a little short trip, get out of town, have some fun before the holiday season gets really, really going. Um, so we'll be at Sunset House. We got uh, what twelve spots available on that. So give us a call if you'd like to go down there. It's a great place to stay, even if you're not a diver. Super for snorkeling. Water around there is about fifteen twenty feet deep, just offshore. Absolutely gorgeous. There's a pool right there on the water, along with the with my bar, uh, which is called Sunset House because it faces directly west. The sunset. Those sunsets are <laughs> absolutely gorgeous. On these trips, you take your personal, uh, your your regulator, you sure. take your mask, your fins, and I guess if you're wearing a wetsuit, you take that. But you don't take the tank. Do you take weights? No, 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 no. So you, when tanks and weights, the way that it's kind of set up in the industry, if you can drive there, okay, they're not expecting you, they're expecting you to have everything. Okay. 
if you have to get on an airplane to get there, now have to is the key word, then at that point they are not expecting you to have tanks or weights because obviously that's very difficult to fly it around. So if you're going to Key West, they think you're bringing tanks and weights even though you flew down there. Because you're part of the continuation of Florida. You, You could drive there. Uh, but if you're leaving the country, getting over water to get someplace, then no, they're not expecting you to have that. You know, when you mentioned Key West, it reminds me of, I guess, 2019 when you were down there. You went with your friends and we were down there and you were driving back. And you were. So I was asking you, in fact, we talked to you live on the air. And I was asking you, well, what's it like? Are people wearing masks and stuff? And think about that. Oh, think yeah. of how different things are now. Yeah, that was well. That was in 2020. Was that 2020? We yeah. Yeah, we were there as soon as they opened. Uh, just absolutely, the day they stated that they were going to open, we watched the the government every day, and we pulled the trigger on it the day after it opened, and we flew down to the Keys, and we were probably the first few people in there. Yeah. Um, since the quarantine was closed, I mean, literally, it was the day after. I remember what you said. One of the guys, they'd go walk to some store and somebody said something about putting your mask on. <laughs> oh, yeah. There, there was a lady. Was, yeah. There was a lady that got real upset with one of our guys who didn't have it. He was holding his T-shirt up over his face because he didn't have his mask. And um, she was real upset about the tourists possibly bringing some germs down there. Yeah. It is amazing when you look back at those days and think about all that we went through, all that other people put us through i mean there were people that went absolutely apoplectic uh, if you yeah. walked in someplace like that. if you were outside someplace and didn't stand i can remember being at um at costco and they had footprints outside yeah to stand on stand 10 feet foot. apart yeah. from anybody yeah. they only let so many in the store you had to stay apart in there and as it turns out now none of that had any impact whatsoever yeah. on any of it and well, I mean, that's, uh, you know, people people were scared and doing what they could do, what they thought might work, and, and coming up with things and didn't really understand the transmission of the of the disease and that kind of stuff. And I, I uh, granted, I think there was a lot of overreaction. Um, I, I fortunately was really well tied in with, with medical professionals that were responsible for the COVID response in Memphis, Tennessee. So I was watching that really close. And, you know, it's one of those, we got to Mexico, we went to Cozumel the day after, or the week after they reopened, and there wasn't anybody wearing a mask down there unless they were working for the government, you know. And they required them to. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, I just, I remember I took my two shots, and then I said, I'm not getting any more, because they said the rest of them, or you could take further down the line. And then the more I read about it, the more I saw it. In fact, there was another pro athlete just died of a cardiac arrest, 52 yeah. years old. And it seems like so many of these young athletes are having heart problems. And and uh, and now they're coming out and saying that, of course, none of it was uh, ever tested. They said, let's start taking it. And uh, so I think everybody's just got to make up their own mind as to what they're going to do. I know I, I talked sure. to my doc, and I said, I remember during the thing, he walked in the room, took his mask off. I said, if you're taking your mask off, I'm taking mine off. He said, be my guest. He said, I, it upsets my patients if some of them think you got to have it on. But he said, yeah. uh, I don't think it, does, it has anything to do with it. And he said, so I don't wear it. If the patient doesn't mind, I said, let's communicate. And the other thing I really missed was people's smiles. Yeah, that was that was the real hard part is you couldn't – 
you couldn't really tell how no. people were feeling at all because you didn't get any facial reaction. And I've noticed in the last year or so, people are starting to smile again. And I smile at everybody when I pass them. Sure. Hey, how you doing? Good morning. And I've noticed how quick people are now to smile. And for so long, they didn't even, it, it, it was a miserable experience for everybody for a long time. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, it was, you know, we kept our doors open and, uh, well, we kept the door locked and people would call and they'd say, Hey, are you guys open? So yeah, we're open. Just come on down. Call me when you get here. I'll come out and let you in. Um, and we were servicing public safety people in town and that kind of thing that needed stuff that, you know, for fire departments and things like that. So, uh, but it was, uh, it was a strange time. I mean, people were obviously very, um, scared of other people. Yeah. I mean, if somebody coughed, it was like, you know, <laughs> you said, run a little temperature, but I think I'm okay. Yeah. It's like, uh, well, it, it really was almost like the plague. Yeah. Sure. And, uh, people did die and, uh, it was, uh, it was a horrible situation. I just, uh, I hope they never say quarantine again. Cause I don't know if, if I will, I may go someplace else, but I don't think yeah, I'm going to go I'm, sit in my I'm house. By that time I got a place in the country I can just go to and, and be away from everything and hang out till they decide what it is we need to do. Well, uh, I think a lot of people that live in the country feel exactly that way. And, uh, and they were sitting there going, you know, we really didn't change anything. I mean, my son, uh, his office was uh, 5,000 acres. <laughs> He's out there with the cattle. There you go. They didn't have it, and he didn't have it. And, uh, yeah. you know, you didn't see too many cowboys wearing uh, face masks. So it, no, I wouldn't expect that. I mean, well, and they they were pretty clear that if you're in the wide open yeah. like that, that it, it wasn't a terrible danger, but you know, you put 20 people in a small room and all of a sudden things change. Well, I think you get 20 people in a small room. That's not good anyway. Yeah. yeah. Well, I remember I, right after all this got started, there was a surprise engagement for my goddaughter over in Dallas. And I went out to the airport and got on an airplane, flew to Dallas in the middle of all that with my mask on and all that kind of stuff. And that, that was kind of spooky. You know, you were, you closed up in the airplane with all these people, and you're thinking like, "Okay, so what's the what's the time period on this? I got five days. <laughs> if I'm okay after five days. I'm okay." And that was the other thing that if you did get uh, a fever or something, you had to isolate for ten days after you stopped the fever. And there were people yeah. literally out there. Even then, they said, "I'm waiting twenty. I'm not going to be ready." Oh, yeah. And then you had all these other people, and I still see people out mowing, riding a riding mower with the mask on in the middle of a huge pasture. Yeah, well, that may be just a stop allergies. of dust and allergies yeah. and stuff, but I did see somebody in a car with a mask on the other day. <laughs> By themselves. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Well, the the good thing is it's not right now. They, uh, Although they're saying we're entering into another phase, but they say it's nowhere near what the original one is. I just don't, I don't think we'll ever see it uh, to the degree that we saw it. No, I, I'm not concerned about that sort of thing because it's not – not enough people have it right now for it to really be changing much. So that gives you no excuse to avoid the party at uh, the Absolutely. dive shop Saturday from 1. We're going to be 1 to 4 having a luau at the dive shop at 999 South Yates. Y'all come out win a trip to the Philippines for a whole week. Wow.